you have a copy of the scriptures, I'd invite you to turn to Joel, the, the prophet Joel's message to God's people may not be a book that you've uh, read very often, uh, but we're going to consider uh, some portions uh, of it uh, this morning. Uh, before we read Joel's uh, prophecy, I want to remind you that we've been studying uh, this year the four-part story of Scripture, uh, the four-part story of creation and rebellion and restoration, excuse me, redemption and restoration. Um, and before we read Joel's prophecy, I just want to ask you the question, are you experiencing parts of that in your life on a weekly basis? We hope that you are, because that's certainly the reason why we're studying it. Hopefully you feel this sense of, I was created to be something that I'm not. Because Adam and Eve, my forefather and mother sinned, and because of that, I sinned as well. And so, on a weekly, daily basis, I'm in a, a sense of rebellion against God. But thanks be to God, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem me. And to not only redeem me and my broken heart, but also to restore not only me, but all of creation. Do you see that in your life? Have you experienced that this past week? Some glimpses, some evidences of either the brokenness or the restoration or the redemption? You see, the scriptures aren't just rules to be followed. It's truth that we believe God has given us to see our lives and see the entire creation through. And we're trying to live into that uh, with the Holy Spirit's help uh, as we study uh, this story of God throughout his scriptures. Uh, if you have a copy of the scriptures, Joel will begin at verse 1 uh, in Joel and then we'll skip around some uh, you can, you're welcome to follow along on the screen as well. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, hear this, you elders, give ear all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. In verse 15 of chapter 1, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. Is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of God? The seed shrivels under the clods. The storehouses are desolate. The granaries are torn down because the grain has dried up. Chapter 2, verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitant, inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. In verse 11. The Lord utters his voice before his army. For his camp is exceedingly great. Who, he who executes his word is powerful. 
For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. In chapter 2, verse 23 Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floor shall be full of grain. The vat shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none none else. My people shall never again be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Let's pray. Father, um, we confess to you that uh, this word, your word, might uh, be a little less familiar to our Ears And yet, Lord, what an intriguing story. A story that we trust um, you have put in your word for our good and for your glory. And we ask that you would show us that this morning. We ask by the very spirit that Joel prophesies about that you would, uh, that you would make our hearts soft and ready to receive uh, your word with a spirit of meekness and humility and truth. And we ask that you would do this for us. We need you to do this for us. Um, And we ask that you would do it in your son Jesus' name. Amen. I want to introduce introduce you to a new uh, old friend. Uh, That's the way we've started our last couple series through the Minor Prophets, this new old friend Joel. And this is a little different introduction because, as you might have noticed uh, through uh, the, some of the reading that we did, Joel, uh, we don't know that much about Joel. There's not a lot written. We know his father was Pethuel. We know he probably grew up in Judah, maybe even uh, Jerusalem. We don't really know when this prophecy was written, maybe somewhere between the years of 600 and 900 B.C. And so in that sense, in some ways, we can relate to Joel, can't we? Because 
we're just ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's likely that a hundred, a thousand years, there's probably not much that's going to be written down about Chad Scott and what Chad Scott did and who Chad Scott was, <laughs> right? And so in some sense, Joel, uh, we can uh, relate uh, to Joel, but in another sense, Joel's different, isn't he? Because he is the mouthpiece of God, and his words are God's words, and he is sharing them with uh, God's people, and they have remained applicable throughout uh, history, uh, have they not? Uh, in some sense, or not, not in some sense, in reality, uh, Joel, maybe Joel's most recognizable comp, uh, contribution is that he prophesied about the third person of the Trinity coming in a way that no one had ever experienced before, nor prophet uh, even uh, prophesied of. And so while we're not going to find many pages written about Joel in the history books, uh, we can read his story. And it's important because Joel is reminding God's people that they're always in need. And not only are they always in need, but they always need to be uh, repenting. We're going to come at uh, Joel's prophecy in two ways uh, this morning. First, the story, and then takeaways. You're familiar uh, with that outline. And so first, Joel's story. What would it have been like to live in Joel's day? Well, I think there would have been three events that would have defined Joel's period or his time, uh, if you will. Uh, the first is locust. You see that in verses 1 through 4. Uh, Joel gives us a firsthand testimony of two crippling uh, disasters that come on the people uh, and the land. Now, because we don't live, and most of us probably haven't grown up in an agrarian society, we need a little bit of uh, perspective for this. When you were driving to church this morning or riding, did you notice the green around you? Maybe you have flowers that are blooming in, your, in and around your home. Um, maybe you just notice because of the rain, it seems like when it rains, everything's a little greener. You know what I'm talking about? Did you notice that greenery? Uh, bean fields, corn fields, uh, tobacco fields, uh, bushes, flowers, grass, trees. Everything's green, right? Now imagine we all get up and we're going to walk out these doors. And as we walk out these doors, there's no more green. None. Nothing on the trees, nothing on the bushes, no flowers, no grass, no nothing. Moreover, if you open up that door, everywhere you step, you crunch grasshoppers under your feet. Right? And if you leave that door open long enough, guess what? We get to worship with grasshoppers, right? You, you, do you get the sense of what Joel's telling us? It all went away in an instant. There's no Pestec, there's no Terminex. All of them put together cannot get rid of what Joel is describing. Complete and utter desolation. No greenery, no nothing left. Now, 
You add to that, in verses 15 through 17, you add to that plague, literally of locusts, a drought as well. So not only is everything brown and desolate and gone, now there's no rain for the foreseeable future, nothing to bring things, things back to life. And so if you're a farmer, if you live off the land, if, you're, if your livestock are to be, if, if their health and well-being, your family's health and well-being is essential to the land, how do you feel? I mean, there is nothing, nothing left. And if that weren't enough, we read in verse 25 of chapter 2, where did this all come from? The hand of the Lord. Is that hard for you to hear? That the Lord disciplines his people? In the early parts of chapter 2, as if it couldn't get any worse for God's people in Joel's time, it's, it's literally compounding disasters, right? Compounding disasters. If it couldn't get any worse, but yet an invading army attacks your land. No food, no grain, no life, no nothing. And now an invading army attacks your land. Except it's not the Babylonians, it's not the Assyrians, it's the army of the Lord. And he is coming and bringing with him this swift justice to execute on uh, the people. Do you feel how weighty that is? You feel uh, the, the weight, do you, let's see if we can put it in perspective. Do you remember the first days of the pandemic? Right, we were all thinking, do we have enough food in the pantry? Because we might not be able to go to the store, right? And then there was this huge thing about toilet paper, right, you remember? And some of you medical professionals felt that way worse than I did because you were actually having to deal with it in ways that I wasn't. You remember what that was like? You remember, you remember, you remember how the world stopped? Maybe, um, maybe you are, maybe you're a school teacher, maybe you're a parent, and it's the end of the summer and you're dry, <laughs> You're just spiritually, you're a wasteland because you're just exhausted. That's close. That's close to what Joel is describing. Maybe there's so much pain and death and anticipation for justice and for everything to be made new that, that in Christ you're actually, you're eager for the day of the Lord to come. <laughs> That's close. That's close what, to what Joel is describing. This weightiness, this sense of lifelessness, neediness. Let's think about takeaways. What can we learn from Joel's prophecy? What can we learn from what he tells uh, God's people? Well, two, I, I want to give you two uh, takeaways this morning. The first is God's always after our attention. 
God is always after our attention. I hope it's not hard for you to admit that we are easily distracted spiritually. That in a, and I don't mean this pejoratively or anything like that. In, in a real sense, we all have spiritual ADD, right? And God's prescription for that attention deficit disorder is grace, but it usually comes in two forms. It's either mercy or it's discipline. It's the same thing that God's done since the garden, right? It's the same thing. Now, we, again, we don't know exactly when this was written, likely between 900 B.C. and 600 B.C., but God's people during that time and since the garden have always been distracted. Always been distracted. Whether it's invading uh, people taking into exile or whether the kingdom uh, being divided and everything in between. It's been the same since the garden. There's not enough focus or if you will, obedience, for us to hold up our end of the relationship, right? There's not enough focus, there's not enough obedience for us to hold up our end of the relationship. Well, what I'd like for you to see in Joel is that the same, this is the same garden God. He's consistent and he's faithful and Joel tells us that in his prophecy. If we were to look back at Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28, and we don't have time to do that this morning. You can read it. I'll read some of it to you. God tells his people what? The same thing he told Adam and Eve. Obedience equals blessing. Disobedience equals what? Curse. Right? Obedience equals blessing. Disobedience equals curse. And God's grace will take the form of curses when his people wander into sin. He's telling them these same kind of warnings are meant to turn God's people away from their paths of self-destruction back to him. It's the same thing he said to Adam and Eve. It's the same thing he said in the Exodus. Guess what two of those curses were in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28? Listen to this. Deuteronomy 28 verses 21 and 22. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until it has consumed you off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever and inflammation and fiery heat and with drought and with blight and with mildew. It's the same garden God who is always after our attention. He's always after our attention and he's willing to use whatever he needs to use to try to get it. And we need it. But he, if it's the same garden God, then he also expects the same garden response. Does he not? Somewhere along the way, we begin to believe that we can do enough to merit God's blessing. Right? Or another way to say it would be that we can do enough to avoid God's curses. Which eventually leads to a mindset that we live into, which is, well, if I don't have any hardship, and I don't have any trials, and I don't have any um, uh, dysfunction or curses in my life, then I must be pretty good. Or, 
If you grew up like I did, if there is trial and if there is hardship and, there do seem, and there, it does seem like there are curses in your life, I must be in sin. Right? And here's what we can learn from Joel. Discipline is always meant to lead toward repentance. Discipline is always meant to lead toward repentance. Even in the garden, we're experiencing and seeing the same message flow through all the way in Joel's prophecy. Look at verses, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Return to me with all your heart and rend your hearts, not your garments. That was, that was uh, the commonplace of the time. If you, were, if you were in sin and you needed to repent of sin, what did you do? You tore your clothes, right? And you put on this sackcloth, which was just terrible, and you went and sat in ashes, right? That's what repentance looked like in Joel's time. And yet Joel's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. What the Lord's after is not really the outward experience of repentance. What he's after is the inward, the, the rending of the heart, the heart that is attentive to God and asks God in any scenario. Father, what would you have me see about you and see about myself and see about others? What would you have me learn about you and learn about myself and learn about others? Did, did you ask your, how many times did you ask yourself that question this week? Especially when things got hard. God, what would you have me see? What would you have me learn? What would you have me know about you, about myself, about others? You see, Joel is after real heart-changing repentance, not, not behavior modification. If you were in Sunday school with us, we talked about this, this very thing uh, uh, this morning. Behavior modification or garment tearing, as Joel would say it, acknowledges that we have sin, but repentance looks like just trying to get relief from the trouble that we're in or just trying to reconcile so that people aren't mad or frustrated with us. A rended heart, like Joel describes, a rended heart is the heart that learns to ask why. Why am I doing the things that I'm doing? <laughs> why do I keep doing uh, the things uh, that I do? And when the Holy Spirit helps you answer the why question, we take that straight to Jesus. And we ask for his forgiveness and help. That's the kind of repentance that Joel is talking about, this humble, process-oriented attentiveness that desires to see the fullness of God and the fullness of ourselves. So the question is, what keeps you from living attentively? What things or people captivate your heart more than God? I'll show you where this shows up in my life, maybe in yours. Um, there are times when I knee-jerk out of, not my will but yours, Lord, into implement and enforce my will at all cost. Right? Have you ever experienced that? Trust you, Lord. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust. Nope, that's too far. And I'm going to have to take over. Right? 
What are the things that distract you from being a humble, patient, a trusting person to a, a, a person who controls fiercely and demands attention? What are the places in your life, what are the people, what are the things that make you shift out of Christ first mode into me first mode? You see, God's always after our attention. He's always after our attention. He's been after our attention uh, since the garden. But, second takeaway, he also wants us to see his movements of grace. He also wants to see his movements of grace. And the reason God desires attentive hearts is because he doesn't want us to miss his heart in his movements of grace. Did you feel the growing escalation of some of this prophecy, right? Maybe you felt some of the, put yourself, if you can, in God's uh, people's place as Joel is saying these words uh, to them. We're living in misery, right? These bugs have crushed us. These locusts have crushed us. This blistering drought is excuse me, sucking the life out of us. This day of the Lord scares us to death because we thought the army of the Lord was supposed to be against our enemies, but oh, Joel, you're telling us, you're telling us that the army of the Lord is actually coming at us and our enemies, and you want us to repent to that God and run towards him. What if my repentance isn't good enough? Is that even safe? What if I continue to struggle uh, with the same things over and over again? But here's what I want you to see. Joel describes to God's people, while, they, while their, es- their life is escalating out of control, God is escalating his grace as well. Look with me, uh, look with me at uh, chapter 2, verse 18. And, and we need to ask this question. God shifts from curses and judgment to blessing and abundance. How? How does a God who just decimated his people and decimated the land now all of a sudden shift, flip it over completely to blessings in abundance? Well, you can't, we cannot read past verse 23 in this prophecy. And it's so subtle, and the English translation is kind of okay. But there are huge volumes here. What is the early and latter rain for your vindication? What in the world is that? Maybe a better translation is the early and latter righteous rain. What is righteous rain that God will pour down in abundance. What could that be? See, beloved, Jesus, Jesus is the day of the Lord. In all of his incarnation, in all of his perfection, in all of his crucifixion, Jesus comes and he pours out himself as the righteous rain that takes away our hearts of stone and bears the full brunt of the curse For us to give us what? Life and hope and joy. 
with hearts of flesh that are filled with faith. Jesus himself was poured out as the rain of righteousness. And Joel is telling his people, you've got to look for that. You've got to anticipate that. And because that righteousness is now ours in Christ, God desires to grow in us humble attentiveness to his grace. And the more we grow in humble attentiveness to his grace, the more we're aware of it, the more we see that God escalates his grace, especially in our times of trouble, the more we see our part of the restoration of everything, everything, the restoration of everything that the locusts have eaten and everything that the drought has taken away and everything that our sin has destroyed. And how's God going to do that? How's he actually going to build that humble attentiveness and longing for grace in us? Well, Joel tells us that too. Look in, verses, uh, look in chapter 2, verses 30 and 31. Jesus coming and Jesus coming again is that day of the Lord. And Joel also knew in a beautifully supernatural way that it was going to be better for Jesus to go so that the wonderful counselor could come and take up residence inside of the temple of the holy God. You. Right? God granted Joel this ability to see Pentecost. Peter actually says in Acts chapter 2, the prophecy of Joel has been fulfilled because why? The Holy Spirit came down on all kinds of people. And all kinds of people were saved. And nobody was outside the grasp of the Holy Spirit. Do you see the movements of grace in your life? <laughs> you see that growing escalation of grace in your life? God's gracious because he's after our attention. You understand that? God's gracious because he's after our attention because what we really deserve is not to have the attention of God at all. That's way worse than locusts and drought. For God to turn his back and walk away would be way worse than any disaster we could feel. And he did that on Jesus so that we never know what that feels like. He's after our attentive hearts to lead us to the truth, which means that discipline is love, right? Discipline is love, and judgment has been paid for, and creation is being restored and will be restored on the second day of the Lord. And there is healing that can only be experienced by the more, we experience, the more we experience Christ as we experience him through the Holy Spirit, these movements are grace. Movements of grace are meant to captivate our hearts and lead us to drink deep. <laughs> to drink deep of the righteous rain that was poured out for the remission of our sins.